Thank you for tuning in to Remodeling Mastery by Mark Richardson, brought to you by Surefire Local. For more advice, tips, and strategy on small business marketing, visit surefirelocal.com forward slash podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that is really designed to help you reflect and think about your business. I take different topics, topics that hopefully can give you an opportunity to think about it in a little bit more insightful way, but also very strategic and tactical as well. Today I'm going to get into a topic, and I have a very special guest in a moment I'll introduce you to, that is probably one of the more important topics for you to be focusing on, and that is the talent. It's the people in your business. A good friend of mine, Charlie Chase, who actually runs one of the largest remodeling organizations, about five years ago said, those businesses that can master the labor will be the winners. And what he was really saying was those businesses that can master the talent, that really have their arms around the human capital in their business, are going to be most successful. So today we want to focus on this subject, and I have a guest that I've known for quite a while. He's uh, spoken on this topic. He's an expert. He's done a tremendous amount of training and worked with companies. His name is Jeff Miller, and he has an organization called the Jeff Miller Consulting Alliance. You know, Jeff is a business coach and advisor to many very successful businesses, and he assists them in growth strategies and implementation. So welcome, Jeff, and uh, we'll be able to dive into certainly our topic here. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So why don't we, you know, uh, one of the themes that I write about in my book, uh, Fit to Grow, is people are your greatest assets. And, um, you know, when I speak to different audiences about that subject, I ask them oftentimes, what does it mean to them? And they'll say, well, the business is all about people. Uh, you need people to be able to do the business. But then I point out to them, you know, the key word, quite frankly, in this phrase is really not people, but it's asset. It's an asset is an investment, and you want to return on that investment. So with that being said, you know, share some of your, I think, philosophies and insights when it comes to the talent in the business. Sure. Um, you know, I think the old model, the 20th century model of command and control coming down from the top, um, it's not a model that's feasible at this point. I think uh, the workforce as it is today are looking for things that give greater fulfillment to them both in the workplace and outside of the workplace. I think that's particularly true with the millennium, uh, the millennial generation. Uh, these are people who are coming into companies and sure they want to be engaged with their work but they also want to be engaged with a company that's engaged with the community. So that old leadership of command, you know, com uh, command control from the, de from the top down plays directly against that. Um, people are an asset. And whatever, you could have the greatest strategies and plans and marketing uh, in place. The fact of the matter is, if the talent's not there to execute, it won't get done. So, you know, as we think about this from a business point of view, you obviously are exposed to a lot of different businesses. 
Uh, you see, for example, some businesses and how they're thinking about their talent and approaching their talent. You know, I've heard, for example, an adage many years ago that really sort of changed the way I saw things, that training really is an investment, not an expense. And all of a sudden, you think of training as an investment, you want to return on investment. But share maybe some of the things that you're seeing in terms of how some of the businesses that are looking at talent a little bit differently today. Well, let me take a step back and just philosophically uh, put out there that I think the most important thing for any business is to understand the why of the purpose of the organization. Why are you in business? The what and the how, uh, that's the easier part and to a certain extent. And when I say the purpose, I mean that in addition to the mission and the culture uh, and vision. You know, mission, vision and mission, they're, those are more future-oriented things that will be. The purpose is very much rooted in the now. And when as a business you understand what your purpose is, here's where the investment in people come in. Because your people have to buy into that why for you to be successful. And everything you do as a company needs to reflect the why. And here's where we make the connection. Um, when you're hiring somebody, mistake that's often made is people hire to skill but not to behavior. And you can teach skill, you can't necessarily teach attitude and behavior. So that question of why does this person have, do they buy in? Are they willing to be a part of what I'm trying to create? And if they are, let's bring them in, but let's bring them in in a way where we're training them that first couple of days a week. We're not training them about the widgets or how to file the paper into the data. We're training around the why. So let's maybe back up a step, Jeff, and talk about the issue of the why, but let's talk about it a little bit more in the context of maybe how you would encourage an owner or how you would encourage a manager asking the right questions to to reveal a little bit more the why or share really more the why of what you're all about. What are some of those good questions that you might ask in an interview or discussion? Well, the first thing I think that's imperative is that, is that the owner or the business or the manager understand the four or five things, imperatives that they will not compromise on, um, whatever that might be. And then in the interview process, the questions are open-ended questions. They're not necessarily just about skill set, but they're questions that are going to probe the values of the person that is sitting opposite you. So you can ask some silly questions like, who's your favorite superhero? to what book have you read last, to tell me about a time when there was some conflict out in, your, in a department you were working on, how did you handle that? Uh, or a time where you had a disagreement with your manager, what did that look like? How did that scenario play out? Because the candidate can't necessarily know why you're asking the question. They don't know the answer you're looking for. So I think it's, it's those types of questions, but again, that really lead to and uncover the thought process the, um, the behavior and the attitude that the candidate has. They could have the greatest skill set, but if they turn out to be a cancer within the organization, it's not going to help. They might have a weaker skill set, but they buy into this hook, line, and sinker and want to be a part of it for the next 10 or 15 years. You can teach them the skill set. Excellent. Well, you know, one of the interesting things I always like to do is sort of mix the science and, and, and sort of the art together with this. And the science, 
as it relates to people is oftentimes, you know, some of the key metrics that we're seeing out there as it relates to the talent. About six years ago, I was leading a group of 14 companies and uh, I asked them the question, this is right in the middle of the recession, you know, how many of you have invested more time and energy and training in the recession versus less in the last 12 months? Well, 10 of the companies said they reduced the training because of the expense, and four of the companies said they increased. The 10 companies purely coincidentally, although certainly this is the reason behind it, that had decreased the training, had gone back in their business or lost ground in their business, and the four companies that increased training all grew during that same 12-month period of time. You know, when you hear numbers or have those kind of metrics and those kind of statistics that are out there, that really gives you the conviction to make sort of the talent a priority. I'm sure you run across some as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that, that, by the way, that statistic is very much aligned during the same economic downturn with companies that invested in marketing and moved forward and those that held back in the the same success ratios or lack thereof. Um, one amazing statistic, and this is in an industry other than yours, but I think it, it speaks volumes to what the why is and how you hire toward that. Um, the, in, in the restaurant industry, the turnover rate nationally is about 125%. Uh, there's a pizza, pizza a, a guy in Chicago who owns a couple of pizzerias. Is national, he's an author, he's a national known uh, speaker within his industry. In his two restaurants, the turnover rate is about 24%. And we're talking wow. about twenty. We're talking about kids who are seventeen to twenty-five for the most part, uh, and it's because they're trained to the why. Uh, the first week that they come in, as I said, has nothing to do with making pizza. It's understanding what's driving the organization from that moral imperative, what they're there for. Because what we're here for isn't what we do. You know, um, you can own a pizzeria. It doesn't mean you're in the business of making pizza. You're in the business of providing a space for family and friends to come together. Uh, I'm a business coach. It doesn't mean that's what my purpose is. My purpose is building community by improving the lives of the business owners that I work with. So when you can tap into that, that's the sweet spot. Um, And you can look at retention rates as a metric. You can look within your own organization. Look at your own organization and figure out over the last two years or five years or whatever that right number is, What's your employee retention been? And what has that cost you? And therefore, if it's cost you arbitrarily $20,000 in rehiring and retraining, it would make sense to invest a little bit more money in that whole hiring training uh, process that you're going through. And it should be a process. I think uh, one mistake that's made often is that we hire when we have to, and therefore we're rushed. And just get me, you know, get me a warm body. Get me somebody who, yeah, knows how to, you know, take the hammer and na- nail the hammer into the two by four. Not the best way to hire. You know, one of the one of the comments too that I oftentimes think about, and that is the importance of, and it leads to sort of I think some of the discussions you're talking about the why and making sure you get the right people on the team is the value or the cost when someone doesn't work out. You know, I did this analysis many, many years ago when it came to certain roles in the business, and it was somewhere between twenty-five and fifty thousand dollars if a person didn't work out 
in the first six to 12 months. Uh, do you have similar yeah, sort of numbers? The numbers, are, I mean, are the same depending on the level of position, but anything from a $30,000 a year position and up, if after 90 days that position doesn't work out in terms of time and money and investment, you're looking at anywhere from twenty-five to thirty-five, forty thousand dollars uh, in terms of what's wasted and then what needs to be reinvested. And if you think about that for a minute on a very simplistic level and you look at your team and if you have a team of 15, 20 people in a small business and you think, well, that money, just three of those people, if they would have worked out, I wouldn't have wasted maybe $100,000 in terms of that expense. Yeah, that's, that's certainly true. The other part of that statement, and this speaks to um, Jim Collins' is Good to Great, where he looks at 11 or 12 great companies and wants to see what their commonalities are. And out of, I think, all but one, the CEO rose from within. So when you can bring talent up that's been with you for a year, two years, 10 years, 15 years, that's a real sign of success. So those are people who they'll I mean they'll go to the, they'll go to the trenches for you. So that whole concept of not just developing talent, but then retaining it and promoting it, and that you know, makes for a real strong trunk of a tree. So let's let's talk about. I'm a big believer that sometimes it's a little bit tricky for us to you know give people all the solutions of how to be successful, but it's sometimes easier to say what to avoid doing or what mistakes do you keep out of? You know, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was giving a talk to a group and I talked about the fact that in the last 45 years, I've never been in a car crash. And I asked them why. And of course, they thought I've been lucky and I'll take a little bit of luck. Okay. But the reality is I've never been in a car crash because I've avoided car crashes. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at the other driver not just at the other car. I stay away from the driver that's weaving around and not looking very safe. So drawing a parallel to business, if you can just avoid some of these people mistakes, you can be successful just as much as doing the right thing. So let's talk, Jeff, about some of the mistakes that you see out there that businesses or business owners or leaders make. I think it starts with how strategic are you with your business? Um, and I, the mistake, the, one of the more common mistakes that I see is business owners don't think strategically. They think in the moment. They're, they, you know, they're working 12 hours a day. They're worrying about making payroll. They're worrying about the next job coming in. They've got three projects that they're running. And all that is true and all that's reality of, of, of where they're at. But that doesn't mean you can't carve out strategic time to sit back and think about, okay, what process do I need to put into place so that when my carpenter quits, I just need to implement. I don't need to just, at that point, react to an emergency. And I think that concept of planning and having a system for, in hiring, for instance, instance, that says, no, we just don't hire the first guy off the street because we're in crisis situation. Um, I think hiring for behavior and attitude is something we don't do, we do infrequently. And when we do do it, we do it subjectively because we're not using any kind of tool to help us with that. I think thinking that your employees only want a pat on the back, uh, is a, 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 that they just want a pat on the back and they just want to check, that's true. But what employees really want to do is they want to understand what's expected of them. They want to be measured 
and they want to feel like they belong to something greater than just themselves. Uh, I think those are the three, right there, those three things, measurement, expectation, and, and belonging, if you can build a company that just does that, you've got a, you've got a pot of gold. You know, and expand on what you're talking about. I think that's so important that uh, you, that you think more strategically. And as you reflect on your team, you know, I'm a big believer that everyone on your team, you have to ask yourself, for example, is their stock rising or falling? You know, where will they be a year from now? If you have a lot of team members that you can't really see them being in a different place or advancing in your company a year from now, chances are you're not quite positioned the way you'd like to be. You know, you've got to look out to the future. You've got to think more strategically, as you just said. Absolutely. And you also, you need to give your people the tools to grow and to show that kind of uh, desire. You know, oftentimes we do reviews that are centered around the manager has to save his own backside, so I'm going to do a review in 12 months as opposed to in real time. One of the t mistakes, um, one of the things that I see that's killing business is the drama in the workplace. All the drama and the politics that go on. And when you see that, what we tend to do is not deal with it directly. So we let it build and fester and then six months from now there's an explosion either from the employee or from the, the manager and it's like nobody knows what happened. Um, going back to the why of your organization and using that as a tool, if there's a conflict in the workplace, Deal with it right then and there. Say, okay, well, let's go over and look at the why. And based on that, how do we resolve this issue? And how do you resolve it between the manager and the, and the employee here, not from, a, not from up on top? Um, that whole review process, the way we're doing it now, again, it's 20th century. It's either done quarterly or twice a year or once a year, and it's based around a raise. What, what does it look like if you're performance is being measured on a daily basis and you're getting feedback. So Mark, um, you know, I see you accomplished this and this today. What do you feel was your best accomplishment today? What did you do really well? I give you that opportunity. And then I tell you something that I think you did well. And then I might say, what's one area that you think maybe tomorrow you could do a little, you know, you can improve upon? Excellent. Yeah, I think that real time, certainly time is not on your side. The more time, that you, the more you're focused on real time feedback, I think it's great advice. So let's shift gears, Jeff, and talk a little bit about, you know, clearly you got to get the right people on your team, as you talked about, and you got to get them in the right seat in the bus. Yep. You know, I think for most companies, we want to reduce the risks whether it's in the expense or in the mistakes of getting the wrong people. Now, there are tools out there. There are profiling systems, and I know you've been heavily trained in some and, 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 and are an expert in profiling kind of systems. But let's just talk about the subject a little bit more generically and help people make sense out of profiling, the profile systems, those kind of things. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's the old Titanic story. When the Titanic went down and hit the iceberg, it, hit, it didn't hit the top 20% that we see. It hit the bottom 80% of what we don't see. And that's the challenge in the hiring process. We're seeing 20% of a person by their responses, by their answers, by their body language, by, maybe by what they're wearing. But in terms of what... And it's always impressive. Almost always, yeah. Um, and what we don't see are belief systems. We don't see skill sets. We don't see 
uh, how they identify themselves. And, and so profiles, any good profile is designed to not help you with the 20%. We're smart enough to do that. But it's to help you uncover and understand that 80% that we don't see. So any profile system that does that, that in, in and of that itself, it puts you as, as, uh, as somebody who's hiring a step ahead. There are some challenges with, with all the profile systems out there, and they all have a place. You know, if you're talking about uh, things like um, DISC and, and those type of things, which are based on four-quadrant personality, uh, that takes you to one level, and it gives you an insight into the personality that you're hiring, and certainly communication style, and, and there's, there's a very important uh, aspect that that plays. But studies show that as you go from just the interview process to introducing DISC or those types of four quadrant, and then you introduce some kind of psychometric uh, tool, that retention goes up incrementally. Um, there's, there's no 100% there's no guarantee in, in any of what we do with dealing with people after all, but I'm a firm believer that if the more we can quantify when we're hiring, because that's our greatest expense, that's what makes or breaks us as, a, as an organization. The more I can quantify, the more I'm interested and understand the need for the investment, the desire to make the investment. So let's let's talk about I think these sort of the depth of these tools and uh, with DISC or McQuaig or some of these others that really do sort of give you sort of the level of dominance that's required possibly, the level of urgency or sociability or maybe even their ability to comply and those kind of things. Uh, obviously, those are important sort of elements when it comes to their personality, whether they're predisposed to be certain ways. But it's one level of filter um, that, you know, and, and I, I want to point this out because I think it's, it's sort of important. When I first learned about profiling systems, most profiling systems are not a recipe for success. They're mainly a recipe to tell you who will not be successful in particular roles. So if you sort of quantify that, uh, if there's 10 candidates that you would consider, seriously consider for a role, a profiling system will narrow that down to say, you know, you really should be looking at these six. So now all of a sudden, your odds of getting it right are much better because you've reduced it down. Um, so help us understand sort of going a little bit deeper on the profile systems. So a good profile system is not just about elimination. It's not just about deselection. And I could talk another podcast on, on a whole hiring system, which is based on deselecting. Um, but a good profile helps you select and evaluate. So it's not just a matter of marks a good fit for the carpenter position because of X, Y, and Z. But if I take that same profile and want to say, well, let's see how he would be as a manager. And then let's see how he'd be as an executive. And you can use the same... Uh, tool, same assessment tool, to evaluate not just Mark's ability and talents as a carpenter, but we can project his growth uh, and, and again, quantify. No, not guarantee, but quantify. The other thing that a good assessment tool does is it measures the personality, the, the, the things like DISC and other the ones like that do, 
but as you take it to a deeper level where you're, all, you're not just me measuring the personality, but you're actually measuring the behavior. And then you're able to, by understanding the, beho the behavior, to greatly reduce the drama on, in the workplace. Because if I understand that you know, you're hardwired this way and I'm hardwired this way, well now it's not personal. Now we just have to sit down and, and figure out the best way of doing it based on, on, those, on where we are. And a lot of companies, any company that uses a profile is to be applauded, but it shouldn't only be used in the hiring process. That same profile that you're using in hiring can help you build an incredible team and can help you create an environment where people want to come to work because, hey, we understand each other, we understand our communication, we understand our behavior. I understand that you didn't do that to tick me off. You did it because that's who you are. And I understand that objectively. And I think that's the key. It's one of the keys, certainly. Um, so how, how would you recommend uh, with some of the listeners, Jeff, to get started on this? You know, obviously they can go online, do a little bit of research. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, a little bit of here, I'll, I'll give you uh, some ability to contact Jeff directly if you're interested. But, but how would you get started on sort of getting your head around profiling and filter kinds of systems? Um, I don't mean this is self-serving as it's going to sound, but contact folks like me or f like you who are in a position to work with businesses and have used a variety of, of, of assessment tools so there's a knowledge base that you can draw upon. Certainly go online. Uh, you t if you Google interview assessments, job assessments, talent assessments, there's no shortage of what will come up. I think one of the keys in making the decision is being able to quantify how current the science is behind whatever the profile is. Because these are based on science, it's based on psychology, it's based on interviewing, it's based on a lot of things. But if that accreditation is not current, then to me it always raises a red flag. Um, you know, you should have, be working with assessments that have been accredited every three to five years. So what, what are some name brands that people should consider when it comes to assessment tools? But also, you know, what level of investment or expense is related to it? Yeah, so the, the assessment tool I've been working with is called Profiles XT. Uh, I've been working with it for about 10 years now. It legally can be used in the hiring process, so, which, is a, which is a great uh, advantage. Number one, because it can be used. Number two, because it it can be used, it has to get it has to be accredited every three years by Department of Labor. Um, so that's that's one thing to look for. It should be easy to use. It it should be something that you, as a manager, after a couple of assessments, should be able to understand and anticipate. Um, it should measure separately or at least the one that I use, separates out thinking style, which is about problem solving, behavioral, and then occupational interests. So we're looking at three different matrices, and we're getting, a, we're getting a percentage match based on there's a profile that exists for Carpenter, the applicant takes it, their results are juxtaposed, so we're getting an exact match going in. If you're a 50%, why would we hire you? If you're a 75%, hey, that's good, plus we know what to coach you up on over the next 90 days. 
So making sure that there are enough matrix to look at that are clear and that are understandable, to me, is key. I, I think oftentimes with things like profiles, you know, we like to create this language around it that only we can understand and that, you know, most people don't understand it. You know, I think the more, the, the simpler the better. What, what should a leader manager expect to spend, let's say, on doing a, you know, more of a generic or basic kind of profile of, of, uh, of, of an individual, whether they're on staff or whether you're consider hiring them? Um, I would say anywhere from 150 up to six, $700 would be the range, depending on the size of the organization. Um, I mean, the tool that I work with ranges from three to four hundred dollars, depending on uh, you know, a couple of factors. But that's the the range. And, and as we spoke to earlier, to the point of what's the cost of hiring a mistake? Right. So it, it, it's a fraction. So if you're interested in contacting Jeff uh, directly, uh, you're, you're certainly welcome to do that. Again, Jeff Miller with the uh, Jeff Miller Con uh, Consulting Alliance. Uh, his email address is jeff at jmconsultingalliance.com. And uh, Jeff, what's your telephone number if you'd like to give that out too? Sure, 703-963-6034. Great. So why don't we sort of summarize our thoughts here and, and uh, you know, maybe put a bow around this subject um, if you had to really summarize and sort of boil it, boil it down into a couple of ground, crown jewels in terms of this whole topic of, you know, sort of getting your arms around the talent or mastering the labor, so to speak, uh, what would they be? Creating a company that people want to work for, making sure that your people are getting feedback and they know what their expectations are. Uh, understand that a lot of the workforce today, millennials particularly, are looking to be part of something that's part of something bigger than just themselves. I think having a system for hiring is critical. So you just don't do it when somebody quits on you, but you've got an actual system uh, where you're running an ad all the time, where you're using a certain process, maybe you're doing group interviews, whatever that might be, and ultimately you're introducing some type of assessment into the, into the system of hiring. We sometimes, we, we wait too long to fire, and that, that adage, um, be on top of, uh, of the system because your people, as you said in the introduction, they're your greatest asset. And if you don't believe that, then you should look at yourself in the mirror t this evening and say, well, what am I really in this for? I think effective leadership is really always about putting your ego at the door. It's not about you, it's about your people. You know, and I think just to maybe summarize that, too, is that I oftentimes, as I reflect on this subject, I think about myself. I think about myself in terms of where would I like to be in the future. And I think the reality is it's normal for people to want to move to another level, move to sort of a passage, so to speak, to a different place. So if you feel that way, isn't it normal then for the people that are working for you to feel that way? And I think the more that you can have the conversations, the dialogue in terms of, you know, how would they like to feel a few years from now? They may not be clear exactly what it looks like and, 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 and is yet in terms of a role, 
but I think that would certainly be uh, uh, something to consider. So I want to thank everybody for joining us today. I want to thank uh, my, my guest, Jeff Miller, who, uh, again, if you'd like to contact him, you can do it probably best through his website. And that, again, as, as email address is jeff at jmconsultingalliance.com. And, again, I want to thank everybody for listening to Remodeling Mastery. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Remodeling Mastery by Mark Richardson was created to help business owners like you grow your business. Learn something new today? Let us know by tweeting at Surefire Local. For more podcasts, visit surefirelocal.com forward slash podcast.